Implementation of the Occupational Safety and Health Administration's COVID-19 vaccination and testing emergency temporary standard got hung up on a legal challenge immediately. Emergency is right there in its name, though, and the courts are likely to move swiftly in the midst of a pandemic that's just ramping up into its second winter surge. I'm Larry Stewart with 4constructionpros.com, and in a wide-ranging conversation about the emergency standard with Gary Pierce, Chief Risk Architect at Risk Management Technology Provider Acclaimant, he talked about some priorities contractors can go to work on right now to prepare for the standards most likely implementation. What are the things that people can be doing right now to, to sort of prepare for this eventuality? Yeah. So I think number one is figure out how you're going to pull your people uh, and collect evidence of vaccination status and store that info in a safe way. You have to uh, make sure that you can administer the paid time off requirements for getting the shot and then for any uh, of the two day uh, I'm sick afterwards kind of stuff. You need to have a specific employer policy uh, that is responsive to all the things that are itemized in the rule. And you have to communicate that to your workforce in a language and in a, at a uh, language proficiency level that your employees understand. So if you have people who only speak another language, you have to provide that info to them in that language. And if you have people who uh, are not the most literate, you have to communicate the info in a way that they understand it. Yeah. Uh, so you got to prepare how to do that. Then you have to work out the decision regarding whether you're going to have a, uh, a testing option or not. But, but even if you don't have a testing option, you have to revisit your accommodation apparatus and make sure that you're ready to take in the requests for accommodation, particularly for religious accommodation. Hmm. Yeah. Then you need to figure out how and where you're going to keep the log, who has access, who doesn't, um, and kind of who's it if, uh, if there's a request. You know, one of the other things that we didn't mention is that employees have the right to go to their employer and say, I want to see a copy of all the vaccination records I've turned in. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, you know, you hope this doesn't happen, but uh, if an employer is in a labor dispute or if they're in a spat with a given employee, uh, that employee or their representative could stir the pot a lot in terms of data and info requests that the regulation says they, they have to uh, uh, they have to honor. Sure. Yeah, I guess you definitely want to have somebody who's it in regards to access to that database and and at least one uh, backup. Gary, that's a that's a long list. That's a that's a lot of things. Uh, if you were drawing some priorities, uh, could you could could you pick some out that are that are most important or most time consuming uh, that contractors should get started on? Yeah, I, I think it is uh, getting evidence of vaccination from your entire current workforce. And um, that, that's got to be number one. Let's say that you already did some of that uh, because you're a federal contractor or, or whatever, but that it uh, was in a different form than is required going forward. You're okay there. 
uh, you're kind of grandfathered in for however you did it before. I see. Um, so you got to work out what that means for you. Uh, and in light of whatever you did or didn't do in the past, what do you need to collect? Um, but part of that is to make sure that people understand what is required by when, because the January 5th deadline or January 4th deadline yeah. actually is sooner because you have to have completed your process by then. Uh, and uh, for those in a, uh, in a two-dose vaccination protocol, uh, OSHA requires 17 days in between the two dosages. So when you work backwards, people have to start getting with the program uh, by the middle of December, unless they're gonna go for, for the one dose uh, J&J. Um, if you've had one dose, but not the second of Pfizer or Moderna as of January 4, you have to be excluded from the workplace. Mm, yeah. Does that uh, does that January fourth deadline uh, provide for the period after the second dose that it takes for the uh, um, need to be considered fully vaccinated? Yeah, they say that if um, uh, if 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 the uh, you know if the two week window between when. Um, you've had the shot and when it's regarded as fully effective, hasn't yet told um, or hasn't totally passed. Um, one second here, I'm gonna read the actual um, sure. uh, provision. You don't have to test the person. But yeah, they're, they regard fully vaccinated as two weeks after getting the last dose of a series. The second dose must not be received earlier than 17 days. Um, but if you've had that second dose, you don't need to be tested while you're waiting. Two other very notable observations. Number one is, uh, as many of us know, OSHA is a combination of a federal plan and state plans. And state plans are prevalent in roughly half the states. The requirement is that the state plans be at least as effective as the federal standard. Uh, there have been a couple incidents in the past year where state plans have not, uh, in the eyes of federal OSHA, been as effective and federal OSHA wants to yank their status away. Mm. But the point here is that each of these individual states are obligated to publish their own plan. And I think there's a 30-day deadline to do that. Those plans may be different. Federal OSHA will be happy if the plans are more restrictive, uh, more burdensome if, you know, from the employer's standpoint. But what happens if one of the state plans, because of political pressure in that state, is more permissive uh, in the eyes of federal OSHA? Well, you're going to see a tussle there. Uh, and uh, the point is that a multi-state employer may well have more than one set of rules to, to, to respect. Wow. Particularly if you're in a state like California or whatever, where, where it has a fairly aggressive um, and comprehensive OSHA practice. Sure. 
So uh, the, the states with state OSHA plans and the states that we call red or blue, according to the normal political landscape, don't nicely coincide with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you could have some state OSHA plan states that are tougher, uh, somewhere because of uh, state politics really don't want to take this to the nth degree. So we're going to have to see how that plays out. But on top of all that, Larry, one other point is that we all know that these infrastructure bills that have Congress all in bollocked up, the, the, the first one, if I can call it that, got passed last week, hasn't been signed yet, but it's going to be signed. Um, you know, the so-called one trillion infrastructure bill. But then the Build Back Better bill, the second bill, the one that had the three and a half trillion tag, and now it's down to 175. It remains to be seen whether this will stick or not. But put in there was some gigantic increases in OSHA penalties. Oh. Such that there could be a five-fold increase for willful, repeated, and failure to abate violations. The most serious violations could go all the way up to $700,000 under the new regime. Mm. Again, whether this survives, uh, including whether it survives uh, the uh, parliamentarian's determination of whether this is fair game for for a reconciliation bill, all remains to be seen. But suffice to say that um, if um, if the Democrats in particular have their way, uh, you could see some massive increases in OSHA penalties. And I think even more noteworthy than that is how they are applied, where uh, a violation could apply on a person by person basis and the penalties get multiplied accordingly. This is the way that wage hour litigation works, uh, where you have a, a statutory penalty per violation. And so the numbers can get out of hand pretty fast. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Hundreds of employees, uh, you know, with a, a penalty that's, you know, even just a, a hundred thousand dollars can get real, real steep, real fast. Yeah. Um, so what are the current penalty provisions in the in the standard? Well, it, it, it's the normal uh, OSHA schedule, if you will. Okay. Um, which I think the, the the bottom line today is about ninety seven hundred dollars, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, for a first time offense. Ironically, you know, if the penalties go way up, then employers are going to say, "Well, I got to fight this one. I can't just write a check." Yeah. Uh, and there isn't enough OSHA infrastructure to absorb a huge increase in in litigation or disputes of this nature. Yeah. So, you know. We just hope that common sense prevails. Um, hmm. You know, one of the many unknowns here is how that'll play out. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's that's a really interesting uh, and and uh, impactful way to uh, to to end this podcast because it sounds like there's there's not much more that we can discuss about it. I mean, it's it really is kind of up to what happens in the in both Congress and the courts. Yeah, and if I could leave you with one last point, Larry, before we conclude, it would be that we can look forward to a future of criminal penalties for certain workplace safety violations. That's the way the law is going to start trending in the future. Really? So I'm not saying that that's, that is not a provision in the new 
OSHA emergency temporary standard for COVID, but it is a trend in how workplace safety regulation is playing out. And you will see it first in some of the more progressive states for egregious things, uh, personal liability will become more prominent mm. and not just at the owner level, uh, at the level of those who knew and could have done something about it and turned the other way. Yeah. So like it or not, that's the way this stuff is going gonna, is gonna to play out in the future, unless you have a big shift in political winds. What, what's the indication that, that, it's, that trend is, is happening? Because it's happening in, in, uh, at the state level uh, in, in certain areas, uh, particularly workplace safety and wage hour violations. Thanks again to acclaimant's Gary Pierce for his insights into protecting the workforce from legal and viral challenge. Gary offers more on the potential uh, broader impacts of OSHA's COVID-19 emergency temporary standard in part one of this conversation. Check out the link below. This is Digging Deeper. You keep listening, we'll keep digging deeper.